Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Padres Social Hour on this Tuesday evening. I am Padre broadcaster Jesse Agler. Got a fun one for you. Uh, local legend, American legend, Landon Donovan from the soccer world will join us. Uh, talk to him in a little bit and uh, talk about him with my two co-hosts today, Bill Center and AJ Casavell of MLB.com. Pleasure to have both of you gentlemen uh, back with us. Like I said, uh, a lot to get to today, including that conversation uh, with Landon Donovan. But also, guys, we've got, I think this is version, let me check my notes, 126 of what the uh, 2020 Major League season might look like. And uh, let, let's just, uh, I guess, jump into that right right off the bat. Hi to everybody. Thanks for joining us. I continue to comment away on your different social media platforms. I uh, will answer your questions as they come in. You can also tweet at all of us, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but this one, uh, courtesy of Bob Nightingale of USA Today, had a story earlier today about a new potential system uh, for MLB 2020. And again, the caveats and the asterisks are all over this thing, as they have been for all of them. So much of it is dependent upon reality, really, and the medical situation uh, that is uh, impacting not only this country, but obviously uh, the entire planet Earth. So with that out of the way, for the moment, we'll dive into it here with uh, Bob Nightingale's uh, report. What he says is MLB is considering a plan. We've heard about the Arizona bubble plan. We've heard about the Arizona-Florida plan. We've heard about the Arizona-Florida-Texas plan. This plan is a geographical plan where MLB will split uh, the 30 teams into three divisions of 10 teams each. Uh, and for the purposes of, uh, of Padre land, we put the West first here, uh, also on the left, I guess, where it belongs. And uh, the teams would play their 80 to 100 games, whatever it would end up being, depending on when they could start, exclusively against their division opponents. Now, obviously, your AL and NL are gone. Obviously, your playoff bracket and seating would be unlike anything we've ever seen before. The clear, clear message here is that, all right, we want to be able to have simpler travel. Um, that works better in some places than others. Uh, Seattle is never going to have simple travel. If you're in the Central Division, hey, Cubs, White Sox, Brewers, those are easy bus rides. Uh, you can kind of get into it a little bit. But obviously, uh, what we're most interested in would be the Western Division. Uh, again, in this proposal from Bob Nightingale of USA Today, you'd have the three SoCal teams, uh, the two Northern California teams, Diamondbacks, Rockies, the two Texas teams, and the Mariners. Uh, Bill, let me just go uh, to, to both you and AJ, and we'll start with Bill. Like Initial reaction when you, when you read this this morning uh, from Bob Nightingale and, and your overall thoughts on the feasibility of something like this. My overall thoughts are they're running out all these proposals and seeing the final answer might not be any of them. Uh, there's a lot of travel for the Western teams. You're going to have to have charter flights to Texas uh, to play the Rangers and Astros. So you're going to have to do that to uh, Seattle and Colorado. There's a lot of travel, which raises problems with hotels Everything's four teams in the West. So um, I'm, I'm sure the teams in the West might not like it as much as the teams in the Central and the East. AJ, your thoughts? I mean, when you, when you first saw this today, and again, we've been batting around different ideas over the course of the last couple of weeks. This is just sort of, uh, I guess, the latest version of what's leaked out. 
Yeah, and I'll put the same caveats that you have, but I'm I am all open to all possibilities if it, if it brings back baseball at a safe and reasonable manner. And that's and and that could mean weird divisions, that could mean some weird quirky playoff structure. I think the goal should be to have it as close to a normal kind of setup and season as you possibly can in terms of number of games and maybe who's who's playing who just so that we can have a season that that doesn't maybe get looked back on as being different but I mean if if it like like Bill said all these ideas are being thrown out there the answer might be none of them are what is ultimately determined to be the best way to go about the 2020 baseball season but there's probably some truth to all these ideas in that there, there are going to have to be creative proposals and ideas that get tossed around before we have any sort of, of answer as to what this season looks like. Yeah, I guess, I mean, one of the things we're, we're being very aware of right now is that the possibility of doing things as normal is not very possible. Uh, and so you're, you're kicking around all these different ideas. Andy Martino, who now uh, covers baseball for SNY, longtime uh, New York Daily News baseball writer, uh, he had a report just about an hour ago in which uh, he talked to a source that told him, there are upwards of 15 plans uh, that MLB has been kicking around. So we've only heard maybe the tip of the iceberg in terms of what some of these plans are. And I mean, what I've been saying all along is like, good for baseball. They, they should be throwing stuff against the wall. They should be trying to figure out what could work. They should be trying to, you know, kick around and beat up as many different ideas to see, you know, what could be plausible in a future in which all of this is acceptable uh, and what might not be. Um, but he also said, like, pump the brakes. Uh, not only has baseball been kicking around 15 different plans, he said they've also not had any conversations at all yet with the Players Association about it. So, I mean, you you get a sense there of just like the infancy of this process. And, and yes, maybe they do want to have something to say in a couple of weeks. Maybe they do want to play baseball in July. Aspirations are great, um, but reality is a very, very difficult thing at this particular moment. And maybe things do pick up and testing becomes rampantly available. That was the other thing from the Bob Nightingale uh, piece in USA Today. Everybody's sort of, uh, at least on baseball Twitter, locked onto those division alignments. And they started saying, hey, how cool would this be? Dodgers, Astros, you know, with the bad blood. And you get the Angels and the Padres and the Dodgers all in one division. But sort of like in the middle of that story, he wrote, and I quote, all of this is pending approval of medical experts and providing that COVID-19 testing is available to the public. Those are large hurdles. You know, those are not things that are just going to simply like magically happen anytime I would imagine, unfortunately, in the next week or two. So, uh, again, caveats, asterisks all over the place. But on a baseball show, I guess it is fun to kind of, uh, you know, push around these different ideas. AJ, you had said you want to see this thing look as, as normal as possible uh, within reason, I guess. I, I posed this question to the guys yesterday. I'm curious your take. Is there like a, a minimum number of games you think? you know, they need to play and, and what that number is in order to like award the World Series trophy as opposed to just like saying, hey, nice job in 2020. Well, I think literally there is not a minimum because there is no stipulation that says this number of games has to be played for there to be a World Series champion. Uh, I think we would all be OK with any semblance of baseball, even if it were an extremely shortened season. That being said, I'd like to I'd like to get to at least 81. I feel like that the, the part of part of what makes baseball so special is the grind of it all and how long it and, and kind of the the attrition that sets in after a long time, after pitchers start getting tired, after everyday players are kind of taking the, the day-to-day bumps and bruises. And um, first and foremost, we need to look out for people's health. We need to look out for the safety of the, of, of the, of the country, of the planet. Um, but if we can assure some of those things and if the, if the structure looks a little different, I would like to see a season that, that yeah, that does at least mimic or resemble a, a a regular season so that 
And, and that's, this is just from a selfish perspective, but it's so that years from now, when we look back on the 2020 season, it's not marred with any, well, this team, Team X, got lucky because they played in a shortened calendar, because they played in a different division or whatever. I'd like to, I'd like to legitimately have a crown champ in 2020. Yeah, Bill, is that a concern for you that, you know, we will look back in 20 years and say, well, that title, you know, it doesn't really count. We don't say that about 81, you know, when things were a little weird, not that they were necessarily this weird. We don't say that about 95 when they got the late start in the season. Yeah, I think. No, I mean, yeah, probably uh, the spring of 2021, that'll be a big subject. And by the end of the 2021, 2022 season, it won't uh, it nobody will remember. I mean, they'll remember, but it won't be a factor. I agree with AJ. I'd like to see at least 81 games. I'd like to see anywhere from 81 to 100. Uh, I don't know any way possible they can get it more than that, but that's what I would hope for. Yeah. And, and again, if things, you know, kind of don't get better from a medical perspective, but baseball is able to wedge something in, you know, maybe later in the summer, one of those other ideas that's been kicked around, and I mentioned this yesterday, is you sort of do a tournament. Uh, you know, you don't call it a season. You don't hand out, you know, a World Series title, uh, but maybe you get super creative and just to have something, you know, some taste of baseball, some, you know, season or something to be played. You could stage a tournament, you know, go way outside the box. Uh, I'm guessing, you know, something like that is among the 15 proposals, at least uh, that Andy Martino says they're they're kicking around. It, it's fascinating. Obviously, it's, it's not the most important thing going on in the world right now. We all recognize that. Um, but I, I think we have reached the point, maybe, is this fair to say to you guys? Like we, we, we cannot know what's going on. So we, we'll continue to, you know, pass along these ideas as we hear them, but it, it's hard to take anything with more than a grain of salt from me right now. I don't, uh, you know, it's all dependent on what the doctors say a month from now, six weeks from now, two months, but at least they are talking. Major league baseball is talking about it. And I would hope that sooner than later, they would get the players association involved so that if, there were a green light, we, they could move quickly to get something done. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, this is a very good uh, couple of questions that came in uh, from YouTube for that plan. Is there a possible start date? And would this mean the fans get to go to the game? What he what he wrote today in USA Today, Bob Nightingale, was that, you know, they were aiming for like late June, early July. But again, it's, it's pie in the sky, right? You say, hey, that's when we would love to be able to do this. That's great. I would love to, you know win the lottery. It's kind of that sort of thing, but that's, that's what they're targeting, hoping for, you know, and everything like that, maybe even planning for to a certain extent Uh, in terms of fans in the game initially, absolutely not is everything we're seeing. Um, I I know they have their eyes very much on Korea and Taiwan and, and the CPBL and the KBO because they're perhaps going to open up the stands to some extent later on in their seasons. And the KBO season hasn't even started yet. It'll be on May 5th. I think their opening day. Uh, but you know, MLB and frankly, the NFL and the NHL and the NBA and the NCAA, they're all going to be watching very, very closely, I, I think, to see how that goes, what works, what doesn't work. Uh, because, yes, obviously, they would love to get to a point where you'd be able to open up the stands at least partially, you know, at some point later on in the process. If, again, you know, health sort of dictates that, that that's a possibility. Bill, that's another interesting thing to kick around, though, is like, have we seen the end of spectator sports and concerts as we know it? Or is this one of these things where we eventually get back to normal? There's no way to know, of course. No, there's no way to know. But, I mean, things sort of return to normal after 19, uh, 18 and 19. Yeah. I would imagine some point there, they're going to find a vaccine for this. And things will return to normal. But that does not mean 
that down the road we couldn't have another pandemic and going to be right back where we were. So this time to start looking hard at what the future holds. Yeah, everyone talks about, you know, potential new normals. All right, let's uh, put the wet blanket aside for a moment. We put that graphic back up with the different divisions. AJ, let's have some fun with this, you know, from a baseball perspective. Let's say this thing does get off the ground. Let's say they approve it on both sides and everybody says, let's give it a whirl. What do you make of uh, the Padres playing, I I guess, what would essentially be a round robin against these other teams in the West? Again, under this particular plan in the regular season, you would not play teams from outside of your division. So if you thought we saw a lot of the Dodgers and the Rockies and the Giants before, just you wait. Yeah, it would definitely be interesting. And I I like kind of some of the regional rivalries that would arise from the American League because you're, I mean, if, if this plan were to be put into place or something similar where the Padres are playing teams from the American League West, uh, then you have legitimate regional rivalries with, with the Angels and to some extent with Oakland. And uh, it's, I, I love the American League, National League. I love the history of it, and I'm all for keeping it exactly the way it is. But um, if this plan is a temporary plan, it could see some kind of fun little rivalry games, more Mike Trout that we get to watch against the Padres, which, I mean, for the Padres, probably not a good thing, but for fans of baseball, I mean, in San Diego, that's that's definitely an exciting topic. So, uh, I mean, I'm all for baseball in any form when healthy and when safe. Uh, but um, this this seems like, like we've said, this seems like uh, just one of a number of plans that have been tossed out there. Bill, what would you put the percentage at that at some point in Major League history in the future – we could see radical realignment along geographic lines, casting aside the the traditional American and National Leagues. Uh, yes, I think that it would make sense travel-wise. The one thing I think you're going to see here, if this comes to pass, you're going to see the DH all around the baseball. Uh, there's no way that you cannot go with this plan and yeah. not have a DH. I mean, because you'd have to tell a lot of American League teams, you got to change what you're doing makes more sense to have national teams with the reach. The other thing is, is if you were to play every team in your division 10 times, you'd have a nice 90-game schedule. The math works. AJ, I'll, I'll throw that same question out to you. What do you think? Percentage that it happens that at some point in the future of baseball, we end up with something maybe that looks more like this than what we've had for you know the rest of history? Probably, probably less than 50%. I just think baseball is so predicated on its history and on its... I mean, I think there will be realignment at some point in time. And I think when, if and when baseball expands, you got to go to some form of four divisions of eight or eight divisions of four. But I think American League, National League is such a staple in baseball history that it's still, it still carries some weight. But it, that's not to say it's impossible, and that's not to say until I see how it looks in action, I'm not going to have a firm, solid opinion on it. I like the way it's structured now. Um, to Bill's point about there being a universal DH this season, one of the reasons I'd like to see it kind of stick as close to normal as possible and maybe kind of... Maybe you keep your American League West, National League West divisions as their own thing is because those teams have prepped for this season expecting not to have a DH. And a certain team, it seems in the American League West, they prep for the season having a DH. And so I, I just don't know that you that it would be completely objectively fair to say this this one league gets gets the advantage because they have a DH and they prepared for it, whereas this league doesn't. That being said, that's a small minor concern if this proposal even comes to pass. And I think we would all set that aside for the fact that there are baseball games being played. But um, like I said, I'd like to see it kind of resemble the American League and National League as much as we possibly can. But knowing that there are other concerns at play here. 
it's kind of an interesting research project. You could like look at every team in the National League and see which would be like best suited, you know, without an offseason to go out and sign a big DH, you know, for it. I actually think the Padres would be in a decent spot. You know, you start thinking about some of those extra bats that they have, whether it's a, a Ty France or a Josh Naylor, and you go, eh, I, I wouldn't hate it from that standpoint. But like you said, you know, the American League teams are, are built for it. They're ready for that. And uh, boy, I, I, I hope we can get to a day soon where like we're having an actual argument over the DH having to be used in 2020 and all this other stuff uh, is cast aside. All right. So that's sort of the news of the day in terms of uh, what baseball could look like in, in 2020. Again, uh, a lot of stuff is out there. I wouldn't put too much stock into any of them, not to say they aren't realistic or, or impossible or anything like that. It's just a little bit too early, I think, to, to know anything other than uh, what is basically conjecture. But it is fun to kick around. And, and so we'll continue to do that. Uh, best thing I read today, no offense to anybody else, uh, was on MLB.com. It was written by Will Leach, and it was an absolutely fascinating story uh, about, I mean, here's here's how he plugged it on Twitter. Um, I'll tell the story in, in Cliff's Notes version if you didn't read it. Basically, 1983, late in the season, Carl Yastrzemski is getting ready to retire from the Red Sox. A Boston institution, a legend, a Hall of Famer, a Triple Crown winner, one of the most beloved athletes uh, in the history of that city and that team. So obviously the media in Boston leading up to his final games in 1983 after this three decade career, uh, you know, are saying uh, coverage is just all over the place. It's all Yaz all the time. Newspapers, radio, television, everything, everything going on in Boston was around Yaz. So there was one sports radio show. I remember there were no full time sports radio stations at the time. So it was just a show on a regular radio station. Uh, and they were kind of like not necessarily sick of all the Yaz talk, but they thought it might be funny or entertaining or a good bit. To say, all right, let's coming up on this last game, let's completely ignore Yaz and make a whole show sort of honoring somebody else who was leaving baseball at that time. So they did a little research and, and they stumbled upon the name Vern Rapp. Uh, Vern Rapp at that time was the 55 year old first base coach for the Expos. <laughs> so they said, all right, let's do an entire show where we honor Vern Rapp. And they had guests on and they talked about Vern Rapp the entire time. What started off as a farce, they actually said, kind of turned into like a very nice, touching tribute to this baseball lifer. One of the people they had on the show was a front office executive for the Reds, uh, and, and he had spent some time in the Reds organization earlier in his career. And and in part because of that interview and that conversation and this show they did, the Reds actually reached out to Vern Rapp and hired him as their manager for the next season. He was kind of fitting the personality profile they were looking for. So it went from this like farcical, sort of pseudo funny. Let's talk all night about this guy. Most people have never heard of thing into him becoming a big league manager instead of kind of hanging up his spikes and retiring. Now, his tenure with the Reds did not go very well. Things kind of fell apart for him. The players really disliked him. Uh, if you go and read the article, you get some very colorful details on all of that. And so the Reds let him go pretty quickly, I think late in the first season. And they realized, hey, we got to bring somebody in who the players are going to play for, somebody who they're really going to you know, respond to and respect. And so they go out and they make a trade to reacquire Pete Rose and he becomes the player manager. So Rose now, a couple of years later, of course, will set the Ty Cobb record, the all-time hit record against the Padres. He becomes player manager, actually had some pretty good success in terms of wins and losses. You know, they had been trying to get out of the shadow of the big red machine from the 70s. They finally did. So Rose comes back to the Reds to become player manager and, of course, ends up being banned from baseball for life because he was betting on the Reds and against the Reds and for the Reds while managing the Reds. And all of that happens because of this hilarious, ridiculous little thing that took place in Boston 
a couple of years earlier. AJ, you and I are nerds. We love, here's the, the hit against Eric Chow, but I, I mean, we, we love sort of the, the web that baseball can weave. And I apologize for being so long-winded explaining it, but this is just mind-blowing stuff to me. A great story by Will. Yeah, it's too long of a story for you not to be long-winded. There's too many factors that went into it and that all kind of led to Pete Rose being the manager of the Reds. It's really funny because I can totally relate to that to that Yaz retiring kind of feel as a reporter who has to cover the day-to-day of a baseball season. Uh, it, it Even for a guy like Carl Yastrzemski, a first ballot, obvious Hall of Famer, it's, it's, the stories can kind of get repetitive and redundant. I remember last season... I really, I, I tossed around the idea of on the final day of spring training because spring training is spring training is a similar feel. You're 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 writing stories that don't have the same kind of impact that that you would like to have, and it kind of gets redundant, repetitive. And so I had I had kicked around the idea of making a real big deal out of that last Padres game when they had a chance to win the Cactus League and kind of writing the story as though it were as though it were a heartbreaking defeat that they lo- lost the Cactus League on the final day, and then maybe quote Eric Hosmer is saying. Bro, it's the Cactus League or something like that. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's baseball kind of lends itself to that kind of mindset. And so I just thought that was hilarious. And then I didn't I didn't realize where the story was going. And it ended up with Pete Rose's manager of the Reds. It's just it's just wild kind of the way baseball works that way. And and I, I, I feel like it's kind of one of those things that that could only happen in baseball. Yeah, like it, it's certainly possible Pete Rose would have ended up as the Reds manager regardless but it's also yeah. possible that it didn't. And and so if not for this Vern rap night on a radio station in Boston in October of 1983, maybe Pete Rose is in the Hall of Fame. Maybe he never gets kicked out of baseball. It's a, it's a remarkable thing, though. Well, he was betting. I mean, there was, he was, there was, if you read the report, he was betting long before he was a manager. <laughs> maybe he doesn't get caught. Yeah, that's a, that's uh, a yeah, no. He'll get caught. <laughs> Do any Vern rap stories? No. <laughs> Earl rap now, that's different, but not Vern. Okay. Anyway, I thought that was uh, fascinating. You check out the story uh, from Will, Be- Will Leach on MLB.com. Uh, another MLB.com story that caught our eye in the last uh, week or so. We're not just doing this to kiss up uh, to AJ. We're <laughs> first for MLB.com. Uh, Andrew Simon uh, wrote a piece, I think it was about a week ago now, on trades between teams and the most trades uh, that have ever been consummated. Uh, between two teams. And he went back to 98, which is sort of, uh, I guess, the current expansion era since the Diamondbacks and the Rays, then Devil Rays, came into MLB. Uh, So since we've gotten to 30 teams, uh, these are the teams that have made the most trades with one another. So the A's and the Blue Jays have made more trades with one another than any other teams. But the Padres pop up three times here uh, with the Red Sox, 21 trades, second most, with the Mariners, 20 trades, third most. And then the A's and the Padres have also made 18 trades. So on its face, I just think this is kind of fascinating. We know the Padres have made a lot of moves uh, the last few years, but even if you go back to that pennant-winning season of 1998, uh, they've been all over the place uh, with Seattle and Oakland and uh, the Boston Red Sox. I-, I guess, Bill, for me, like the first thing I did when I saw this list was I started thinking, like, okay, what's the most consequential deal to come out of this? And there's not necessarily like an easy answer to that question. No. In fact, when I saw the San Diego, the Padre in Boston thing pop up, my uh, first question was, oh, my God, the Doug Mirabelli trade that <laughs> brought the catcher here. And being here, the fans hated him, and they got him back out. 
that's certainly one of them. And and I guess for me, I thought of the Kimbrel deal with the Red Sox, um, Seth Smith uh, with the Mariner trade. I guess Seth Smith went to Seattle, right? Brandon Maurer came here. And again, AJ, neither one of those deals has necessarily turned out to be like a major thing for the Padres. But if you unspool it a little bit further, right, you could say, okay, the Padres got Maurer for Seth Smith, but then they turned Maurer into Matt Strom. And now Matt Strom maybe is like a big part of what the Padres are putting together here. Uh, the Kimbrel deal brought, what, uh, Margo, Logan Allen, and Aswahe, all of whom are gone now. But you've turned a couple of those guys into Emilio Pagan and Taylor Trammell, uh, you know, as part of that trade last year. A couple of other guys that could be a big part of the future. So it's funny because we always say, hey, when you're trying to look for winners and losers in a trade, you have to wait a couple of years. It's not only that, you have to see what happens to those guys in terms of future transactions. Yeah, and we're usually... There is no winner and no loser. I think you can go back and look at a few different trades throughout history and say, like the Tatis trade and the Paddock trade, the Padres clearly won those. But for every one of those, there are 16 or 17 that just kind of the players' careers diverge into different directions and they get traded elsewhere. And the the Craig Kimball deal worked out for Boston. They won a World Series, but the Padres are still kind of reaping the benefits from the, the uh, players they got back in that trade. And so, um, I mean... Trades are a weird thing, and I think in the they're really fun. They're really fun to talk about. They're really fun to discuss. When they happen, everyone wants to declare a winner, and it's it's fun to talk about. But that doesn't mean right away we we should be doing that. I think uh, I think a lot of these those those three teams. It, it, it's funny that that the Padres are on there three times, and those would have been the three teams that I would have said because it just feels like a lot of these trades are relatively minor. Like I remember the. I think it was a Nick Vincent trade. It was one of my first days on the Padres beat Nick Vincent yeah. going to, to to Seattle. And so uh, there's there's a lot of relatively minor deals in here and then maybe three or four that have had significant impacts on on the franchises. Nick Vincent from Ramona. Uh, yeah. Does, does looking at this and thinking about trades, AJ, does it make you think that GMs trade too much? They probably don't trade enough if I, I mean, and that, that might be selfishly. I think there more trades should happen because that's more things to write about. <laughs> but I, I think you could, in theory, if every team were to kind of sit down and, and value their players properly, they probably would trade more. But there's some sense of your guy being your guy and not wanting to deal with it. So I'm, I'm a proponent of more trades. I think it makes for fun baseball. Um, I don't know that there should be or that there shouldn't be. I'm not a GM. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling these GMs who know a whole lot more than I do whether they should make extra deals, but make extra deals it gives me more things to talk about. <laughs> you know, I I love the idea though and I think fans do too of the homegrown player is still a very important word. if you draft somebody and he winds up being in your organization and staying with your team, that player always becomes a little bit special with the fans as his career moves along. I do like homegrown players. I would say eh, I could probably use fewer trades just to move players around. Yeah, you got to draft and develop. I mean, I, I think most people in baseball would agree that's the best way to move forward and be competitive uh, is to do it in-house. It's just easier said than done. Uh, I think you know, mentioned Tatis, like he's the great exception to what you said, because he's not technically homegrown, um, but he kind of feels homegrown because he never played a game officially in the White Sox organization before the Padres acquired him. So, Bill, he, he I think for most Padre fans, is going to always feel like a homegrown guy. Absolutely. He does feel like a homegrown guy. Jesse, what in your mind is the worst baseball trade ever made? The worst baseball trade ever made. 
you know, it's funny, like I, my dad, you know, grew up a Met fan. He, he would always talk about when they traded Tom Seaver away as like just this soul crushing uh, thing that took place, I, you know. Um, so I, I think that's like in my head. I'm trying to think of the teams I followed and, and terrible trades. It's interesting, right? Because there's different ways to look at it. Are you going to look at the end result? A team might trade away a popular player, but go on to have success. Or the guy might be on the downswing. They just don't want him to go. David Ortiz uh, being dealt from Minnesota uh, to the Red Sox stands out because of the success that he went on to have in Boston. Babe Ruth, I guess, was sold, not traded officially. I don't know. That's just quickly off the top of my head. What, what about you? Uh, Frank Robin from the Reds to the Orioles for Milt Pappas. And uh, the Cubs Cardinals deal Lou that Brock. sent Lou Brock yeah. for uh, Ernie Brolio. <laughs> Lou Brock came into my head, uh, certainly. AJ, do you have one? That's a tough one off the top of my head. I'll quote Frank Costanza and go with Jay Buehner. Yeah. <laughs> How could you trade Jay Buehner? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, that's, a, that's a good one, too. Uh, to Bill, dare I ask, worst trade in Padre history? There were a couple fire sale moments that uh, I imagine stand out. Well, a lot of fans thought it was uh, Sheffield for Hoffman as the worst. Uh, certainly trading Fred McGriff, that was a bad trade. But they were trying, those trades were predicated on them dumping salary, uh, not trying to get even value. The Hoffman deal worked out amazingly well, but giving up Gary Sheffield really rubbed fans the wrong way. Yeah, well, that's another great example of you got to give the thing time to kind of figure right. out. They both go on to have phenomenal careers. I got Gary Sheffield as a Hall of Famer, uh, but uh, obviously Trevor is, and that's a, a big part of it. You don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger to put these uh, deals together. That's uh, for sure. That's for you, Big Ahi. All right, uh, we mentioned Tatis a few moments ago. Fernando, I think, wrapped up his uh, Players League uh, tournament on MLB The Show last night. Uh, he provided us uh, some some great highlights, certainly. We have some of those. I think, uh, you know, he, he wrapped it up, whether I thought we got highlights tomorrow. That's what it is. Uh, but, but AJ, this thing was so much fun to watch, obviously, you know, wins, losses, whatever they are. Uh, we just got to see again, the personality of Fernando Tatis Jr. And, and a reminder of how special of a personality he is. I think a lot of people have, who have been paying attention to this from outside of San Diego, have maybe learned a little bit about who he is. And the fun part about it all is the way he plays the video game is literally the exact same way he plays the baseball game. I would, I would venture a guess that of the 30 players on here, a lot of them probably have fun playing the video game and maybe curtail their emotions on the diamond. And that Tatis is probably the one who expresses himself. I mean, Tatis is one of the most expressive baseball players we've seen in a long time. And that goes along with him being a mostly pretty shy and humble kid otherwise. Um, and so I wonder if, if when baseball resumes that, that the maybe notoriety that he's gotten from some of his, from the way he plays the video game will translate in a way to the way he's perceived nationally. Because I mean, he, he already is renowned as one of the more fun players in the sport, but he's fun for more reasons than just he's good. He's yeah. fun because of the way he plays the game and of the way, I mean, he does really, really cool things and he has a lot of fun doing them. And I think a lot of Padre fans relate to that. That's why, that's why that's not the only his, because he was so good. His, his production in year one wasn't the only reason Padre fans gravitated to him. It's a, it's a whole lot more than that. Yeah, there's no question it goes well beyond that. It's it's the way he plays, the way he is in the dugout, the way he is on the bases, uh, the smile, the sunglasses. You can kind of go on and on, and, and we have so many times. Bill, I feel like everybody's talking silver linings right now with everything going on in the world. One of the weird ones might be 
you know, without games being played, but with baseball players still kind of being out there more than they would be in the offseason. Really good job by the league so far, actually. Um, and, and this unfortunately hasn't always been the case of, of promoting, you know, some of their young and exciting guys. And, and as AJ said, an opportunity for the rest of the country to get a, a better look at Fernando Tatis. Major League Baseball has done an excellent job in that area, Jesse. It's it's amazing what they have done with no games to work with. They've thought outside the box and really come up with some good uh, programming that uh, I tuned in a couple times to, uh, to the Tatis games. And like AJ, it's the panache that he played the game with that you just don't find everywhere. And it does come across. Uh, in this type of a this type of a media medium that you can see you can see what Tatis means and does through this this media. Yeah, he was awesome on there, and uh, he's one of those guys. He's played what eighty whatever games in his big league career. You're already starting to get the sense, like in his post club playing career, if he wants to be a broadcaster, if he wants to be a coach, if he wants to be a manager, he could do anything like that. Not that I'm trying to end his uh, playing career at age twenty. Obviously, I'd like to see him go another fifteen or twenty years uh, in in Padre Brown and Gold, but he, he's got it all going on. All right, one of the uh, as we talk about uh, content and putting together uh, interesting stuff during these times, one of the great things that AJ has been doing on Padres.com has been these uh, top five guys at whatever position going around the diamond in, in Padre history. I like when, when Bill and AJ are on together uh, because uh, both of you good Padre history guys, you can argue and, and get angry at one another and debate, debate, debate. So here we go. Left field, uh, the greatest of uh, five left fielders uh, in Padre history, the list put together by AJ Casavell uh, on Padres.com today. Bill, how angry are you at AJ right now over this list? Actually, we have on this list five for five. You should have called me last week. That's the first when time. We, uh, had Templeton down the list at shortstop. I, uh, in fact, we exchanged some emails, and I, uh, I even tweeted my thoughts in that one. But agree on this one, Gene Richards, because you have to have a left fielder and not three outfielders. Gene Richards is the best left fielder the Padres have ever had. Give us some Gene Richards stories for those who didn't get to see him play. You know, he's not in that upper, upper echelon of uh, guys in Padre history, obviously. Hitter, singles hitter, fourth highest career batting average in Padres history. Really good speed. Great for first to third. Could steal second. Heard a lot of ground in the outfield. Also had one of the weaker arms I've ever seen. And it's interesting because I can't remember who said it. But one uh, one coach or manager, when he was there, made mention of the fact that he could throw uh, he could throw a, a baseball into a lake and not get a splash. <laughs> they don't say stuff I, like that anymore. <laughs> I didn't I didn't take his throwing arm into account when doing this. But like Bill said, I think it's I think it's pretty obvious that that he's at the top. Some people want to make a case for Greg Vaughn. Greg Vaughn undoubtedly had the best single season for a left fielder in Padres history. But I think if you're, like you said, Jesse, if you're crafting an all-time Padres outfield, you're probably not putting any of these primary left fielders. I think they've had more success. A lot of the best left fielders in Padres history ended up playing more in right field or more in center field, or even a couple of them more at second base. Uh, But I would still put Gene Richards up there among the top handful of outfielders in Padres history. After that, I think there's a little bit of a drop-off. Greg Vaughn had the best single season. Greg Vaughn, other than that single season, though, didn't do a whole lot for the Padres. He might have been around replacement level for the other year and a half. 
Then I had Carmelo Martinez, Ricky Henderson, and then fifth, there was there were a few guys to debate. I just kind of went with with the highest peak uh, among them, which was Phil Plantier. No, I thought you were just going with the best batting stance uh, for number five <laughs> overall. So you're seeing Greg Vaughn there. You mentioned Carmelo uh, Martinez. Uh, that's that's just great footage, by the way. The stadium. Uh, he's part of the World Series team. Does that factor in? You know, the, the team success during these times. Or you try and put that aside when you're making your lists. I think it definitely matters because the list is suggestive or uh, the list is subjective. We're uh, we're looking at these guys and saying who's the, who's the best in Padres history, and there's not a whole lot of parameters on it. That's the fun part of it. That's what I that's what I enjoy the most about all this. And so I can say who is the most impactful. And Carmelo Martinez played an important role in that 1984 run to the National League pennant. That being said, I don't think he really had the the gusto to get up to number two. I don't really think Ricky Anderson challenges him for number three and so he's easily at number three but i take a lot of uh i take a lot of stock in in the impact a player made on solid teams uh because we're just debating who who the best was and there's no other parameters so let's go with let's go with winning 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 matters winning's why we watch now i know for me anytime i see a ricky anderson highlight i i just start to smile uh somebody on, on twitter by the way asked me a question today he said i, I you know or, or he made a comment I, he'd like to see the the league create an award for like the stolen base leader the way they have like for a batting title the Tony Gwynn Award in the National League um, and and he said he would like to see it be the Ricky Henderson Award you know for the the stolen base leader as a great idea in theory just un- unfortunately in today's day and age we don't see a lot of base stealing I mean I'm going to celebrate somebody who, who leads the league with 33 steals I don't know um, and that's a, a pretend number I just put out there but anyway, kind of an interesting thing that popped up but ricky is uh is one of the all-timers obviously for a lot of reasons and, and he finds himself uh on that list as well all right uh speaking of pottery history we have a new uh segment or or feature i guess that we are debuting today uh as it relates uh, to home runs big home runs in pottery history we are calling it Padres memorable jacks presented by jack in the box and uh frankly i think there was no other place to start uh when we begin this particular list than right here Game four of the 1984 NLCS Duke game, bottom of the ninth inning, and the guards out to right field. That was this week's memorable Padres Jack, presented by Jack of the Box. Jack of the Box is open and ready to serve you all of your favorites at the drive-thru, on the mobile app, and with delivery. Uh, it, it is unquestionably Bill Center, one of the biggest moments in franchise history. I think the biggest single moment in franchise history, to be perfectly honest. Not, not you know, that did not win them the... Uh, 1984 pennant but that put them on the map i mean that home run made everybody look at the padres who really they were up until that time you know the cubs were going to win the national league title they were going to play the tigers and that that home run changed everything not only that season but i think in padres history yeah very much so all right uh, our guest today on the show is uh, an absolute legend of sport. Landon Donovan uh, lives here in San Diego now, of course, very involved, not only as the coach, but also an executive with SD Loyal of the USL, uh, a World Cup participant uh, time and again for the United States, uh, an MLS superstar. He's played in the Premier League. Uh, Truly, truly one of the absolute best soccer players 
in American history uh, in terms of the men's game and very easy to argue the best ever. Uh, he's very involved in this community now, and he was nice enough uh, to join us earlier today to talk a little bit about what's going on in his world. Landon, really do appreciate it, and uh, thanks for being here on Social Hour with us this afternoon. How is uh, quarantine life for you and your family right now? Uh, like everyone, it's a mix between super frustrated and if you have kids, um, liking your kids less and less every day, and then being really grateful that we're not in a hospital on a ventilator. So I, I think somewhere in along that spectrum. That's a, it's a pretty good synopsis, uh, nice and brief and accurate, I think, the way uh, a lot of us are feeling, certainly. Let's talk loyal and, and plenty to get to with you, certainly. Uh, the first win, your first win as a coach, congratulations, came in front of no fans. Uh, I bring that up because that could very well be the, the sports reality for some time in this right. country, in this world. What was it like being on the sideline in that environment, having played in front of so many of the amazing crowds you have, World Cups, Premier League, MLS, wherever, uh, to, to be in that kind of scenario? What was it like? It felt like, and it's not it's not perfectly analogous with baseball, but it felt like a preseason game, yeah. right? Even a preseason game, you have some people around usually. In baseball, even in spring training, they have fans around. So they're they're a little bit used to having fans all the time. But playing in front of no fans is very bizarre because your your mindset is when you don't see fans out there, it doesn't feel real. So it'll be really interesting to see if, by way of example, baseball comes back or if the NBA comes back or if MLS and USL come back, what the what the mentality is of the players. Because you're, you're, you're going to see a lot from players. Some players really, really thrive on the crowd and the audience and the performance aspect. So it'll be really interesting. Yeah, I'm curious how much you really do derive your performance from what the fans bring to the sport. I mean, is that is that a real thing that you kind of feed off the adrenaline and the energy and kind of how would you go about altering your performance without that there? So my my guess would be for, for most soccer players, I think there's a little more of an interactive experience with the fans than you might see in a regular season baseball game. Now, a playoff baseball game is different. Uh, probably similar to the NBA in the playoffs in the really meaningful games. But most soccer games, because of the supporters' culture, have a little bit of that feeling. And there's no question we're human beings, right? So we feel the energy, and it's exciting. I mean, it is difficult. I think for a baseball player, you know, some of the some of the game is relatively quiet um, anyway, so there's not a lot of influence going into it from a noise or a crowd standpoint. But in soccer, it very much is part of the atmosphere, so it's going to feel a lot different for soccer players if we get to go back out and play. This past fall and winter, SD Loyal really seemed to burst onto the scene here in San Diego. Obviously, there was a lot of work that went on to it uh, behind the scenes, uh, but the excitement and the energy that you guys created uh, at the launch and then obviously with the season starting now a couple of months ago, how much fun has it been to be involved in this project? It's been mostly fun, some headaches, um, but it's been mostly fun for us. It's been an exciting process. I, I try to keep remembering that the process matters a lot. I think in sports, we get caught up in the end. What does the end look like? Did we make the playoffs? Uh, did we win a championship, et cetera? But the process of starting something from scratch is really special. And, and we have a great example in this town, in the Padres, right? They have become an institution in this town. They have great ownership, great leadership. 
And they are a, a product and a brand that people want to support and get behind. And they mean a lot to this community. And that's what we're trying to do as well. So it's been a good start. A lot of hard work goes into it. And we just hope we can get back out and, and entertain people again. You've been involved in soccer in San Diego for a while. What have you learned about just the overall support here and the way the community kind of embraces the sport as a whole just from your, your time with the Loyal? So this is a soccer crazy town, as you guys know. There's hundreds of thousands of people who watch and play soccer here. More people watch and play soccer in this city than any other city in the country. So the problem is and the challenge is, is there's so much else to do, right? They can go to a Padre game. They can go to the zoo. They can go to SeaWorld. They can go to the beach. They can go to Mission Bay. They can go to Balboa Park. There's so much to do here that you're competing with not other sports teams necessarily, but you're competing with the sun and the ocean every day. So we have to convince people that, yes, it's fun to play and watch on TV, but now you have a, a local team here that you can come out and support. And people have taken to it really well. I always say this is a prove it market. So we've got to prove that we are here to stay for the long term which we are. We have an incredible owner who grew up here, lives in Point Loma, has said he's going to be buried in an SD Loyal jersey. He's never selling the team. But we have to keep proving that to people, and we have to keep putting on a good show every time we step on the field at Torero Stadium. So that's our charge. You mentioned the sun and the water, both uh, very well uh, emblazoned on the on the badge as well, on the crest. Uh, great logo as a design geek. Love that when I uh, got to see it last year for the first time. Uh, as, as the head coach, among other responsibilities with this club, that's a cool new challenge. I mean, you played this game at the very, very highest level and better, I think it's fair to say, than anybody in the history of this country. Uh, what's that challenge like? At what point did you think, hey, coaching could be something I'm into? I actually was vehemently against coaching most uh, most of my career because I knew how much of a pain I was to deal with. I didn't want to... I didn't want to extrapolate that out amongst 25 other male egos, young male egos. So I was, I was actually quite against it. Um, I had children. And then when this opportunity came about, I spent a lot of time thinking about it, talking to my wife about it. And I got really excited about it. And I had an excitement about something in my life that I hadn't had since I was playing. So I figured this is the time to try it. This is the place to try it. And I'll see how I like it. And it's only been, you know, eight short weeks with, preseason and a couple games, but I'm really loving it. And the reason I love it and the reason I'm doing it is to try to positively impact these young men's lives. And it's probably a selfish feeling because I didn't have as much of that as I wanted when I was in their shoes. And so I want to be able to help them. And that can mean a lot of things, right? That's intentionally broad. It doesn't mean winning games or winning a championship. It's trying to find ways to make these guys have a better life, become better young men. And then ultimately, of course, we're competitive and we wanted to win too. So I'm excited about it. I'm loving it so far. And that's why it's frustrating that we can't be out there. It's only been a, a few months, but what have you kind of learned from the process so far about coaching and your capabilities in, in that regard? Mostly that I don't know what I'm doing. And when I, I, I said that to myself going in, I don't have experience, but you really realize it. And so I, what I try to do with our team is I try to be as honest and authentic as possible. I've hired two people, two assistant coaches, uh, a performance staff, a goalkeeper coach who are really good at what they do because I don't know how to do that side. I've never run a team like this. So I think it was crucial to get people in who knew what they were doing. There are things I'm very good at interacting with the players, understanding what they're going through. And I try to stick to that strength. But I think a lot of coaches make the error of trying to do too much trying to think they know more than they do. 
I'm learning as I go. So I'm learning how to put training sessions together, what the week should look like, how to act in games. I don't know. So I, I'd be honest with the guys and I say, I'm going to make mistakes, guys, just like you guys are going to make mistakes, but let's keep growing together and we'll keep getting better. It's funny. We've heard a lot of the same stuff from Jay Singler, the Padre manager, who's in that role for the very first time uh, at yeah. this level as well. I think athletes, as you know, they, they appreciate honesty perhaps as much as anything else. One of the people on the staff, by the way, Carrie Taylor, uh, I think is a really cool story. Still very unusual in, in today's day and age to have a, a female coach uh, on the staff of, of a men's team. Tell us a little bit about her. I got to know Carrie as we started the original Soccer City uh, quest to bring an MLS team here. And she is um, somebody who worked harder than anybody on that bid and did more than anybody to make that happen. And she just kept proving herself over and over and over as somebody who was incredibly hardworking, really cared about soccer and really cared about San Diego. And then as I just, as I got to know her throughout the time, I kept telling myself, damn, she's really knowledgeable about this game. She's really knowledgeable about the sport. And I asked her, why do you think you haven't had an opportunity or other women haven't had an opportunity to coach men's teams or, or, and she said, well, generally people think we're not qualified enough. And then I started thinking about it and I said, well, you're just not qualified because you haven't been given the opportunities. And she said, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. So the more we talked about it, it just seemed like a perfect fit. And again, she's learning as she goes, there's things she knows very well and things she doesn't. And, and she's learning from myself in some ways. She's learning from Nate. Miller, our other coach, and we're all trying to push each other and learn and grow, but there are a lot of things she does better than all of us, and she's a really valuable member of our staff. That's really cool. Obviously, you're, you're only a couple months into this thing. I'm wondering, uh, given the challenges that, that have arisen from this pandemic and from where we are, you were a professional athlete. If, if something this, like this had happened to you during your playing career, kind of how would you have handled it? How would you have coped with it? How would you have dealt with it? How have you asked your players to deal with it? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, the short answer is not well. At that time, and when I was playing, it was my life in every way. And it would have driven me crazy to not be out on the field every day. As I've gotten older, you sort of learn that things happen in life. Um, we're very, very uh, adamant with our team that you can only control the things you can control and the rest we got to let go. So I'm actually at peace with it. I hate it but I'm at peace with it because there's nothing we can do right now. And at the end of the day, people's health and livelihood is much more important. Um, It doesn't mean it's not frustrating for us, but we have to do what's right by our society first. And eventually we'll get, we'll get back to playing again. Landon Donovan, SD loyal. You guys doing some great stuff in this community right now. You you mentioned already, you know, how quickly you all realize the importance of doing uh, that kind of stuff here. There's a program I was reading about today uh, with Rady Children's Hospital a great partner of the Padres as well. Tell us a little bit about what the Loyal are doing with Radies. Yeah, so Rady are actually our sleeve sponsor on our jersey. They're our partner on our jersey. And um, just a quick backstory. So I got to meet Dr. Patrick Frias, who is the CEO at Rady, through our first signing, Sal Zizzo, who's from San Diego. Sal was playing in Atlanta, and Dr. Frias was working in Atlanta at the Children's Hospital there. So he put us in touch and he wanted to be a part of what we were doing immediately. He understands how soccer um, matters in a community and how the community embraces soccer. And so they became a partner of ours. And we were all planning on May 2nd next week to go to their Dream Big Walk, which is their biggest fundraiser every year. 
obviously with COVID that got canceled, right? Can't have people out in public together. So we tried to think of creative ways we could help. And we came up with the idea to have a fundraiser virtually. And we put myself, Coach Miller and Coach Taylor on separate teams to make it a little competitive because we need to be competitive right now. We'll go crazy uh, to try to raise money. So we set a goal at $30,000 thinking it was a little generous and probably weren't going to get there, a bit ambitious. And in the first week we blew past 30,000. So now we're at 38,000. So we raised our goal to 45,000, which I think we're going to blow past. Um, the end date is May 10th. Uh, but I think for a lot of people right now, they can't afford even $5 because they're trying to figure out how their personal finances are going to make sense. We're not asking people in that situation to help. And conversely, we want to be able to help people for people who are feeling helpless and feel like they have $10 or $20 to contribute, this is a great way to help your community. 91% of families in San Diego County go through Rady at some point for some reason. So everybody is touched by this institution. It's a fantastic hospital, fantastic people, and they really need help. They, they don't, anybody who cannot afford to go or cannot afford to pay to go to Rady uh, can still go to Rady and get help. And the reason they can is because they need people to donate and help. So if you can donate at all, we would really, really appreciate it. It's on our social media channels. Every little bit helps these children and families who desperately need it. I got, I'll, I'll go one more. I'm going to go totally personal selfish on this one. Uh, I started follow, following Everton in 2006. So when you rolled through there, that was obviously a pretty cool thing for a lot of fans here in the United States. Um, having never gotten to go to a game there, can you give me a sense, Goodison Park, big game, what that place is like? I'll try to use an analogy. So let's say if the Padres get to play this year and their 2021 plan comes to fruition, or their 2020 plan comes to fruition and they get to a World Series and there's a game seven here and it's the bottom of the ninth inning and Manny comes up or Fernando comes up uh, with the bases loaded and two out the vibe you would have in the in the stadium in that moment is what you get at Goodison Park every week all the time so if you can try to think about what that would be like um, that's what it that's what it would feel like and it's a really special place I got there in 2010 I arrived January 2nd I flew on New Year day New Year's Day I showed up with a beanie on. Um, I used to have a lot more hair. That's probably why I don't. I was wearing a beanie in the cold. And I got there and I started walking through the stadium. And everybody, the ushers, the fans, the players, the staff, everybody said, hey, Landon, welcome. It's great to have you here. Hey, Landon, welcome. It's great to I didn't even think anybody even knew I existed. And everybody there made me feel so welcome. It was a really special place. So if you get a chance to go to Goodison, highly recommend it. Yeah, it's on the bucket list for sure. AJ wore his Everton blue today. I'm very appreciative of that. As as a Liverpool supporter, I didn't. That didn't even go oh, through my head. No, I just made my first trip to uh to England. Did a little soccer trip of my own. It is fantastic over there. Yeah, cool. Awesome, uh, Landon. Really appreciate it. Uh, not only taking time for us, everything you're doing for Rady, everything you're doing in this community. Hope to see the loyal back out on the field uh, as we do with the Padres, obviously, and everybody else sooner rather than later. Uh, big time. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much, and uh, continued health to your family. I appreciate you guys. Stay safe and healthy. Let's get the Padres back out on the field soon and, and SD loyalty, man. Thanks, guys.
The legendary Landon Donovan now of SD Loyal. I, I, EJ, I thought you and I both held it together very nicely there. We were we were getting a little geeky, but we we kept ourselves in check. It was uh, professional. Bring Bill back in uh, as well. The the thing that struck me about that conversation, perhaps more than anything else, Bill was his self awareness when talking about, "Hey, I've never been a coach before." Um, that that's that's a good little bit of leadership, you know, sort of having that you know realization that like I'm not going to come in here and act like I know everything. Uh, you could really easily read between a lot of lines in terms of what he was talking about. Coaches he's had at whatever points in his life and his career who maybe drove him a little bit nuts uh, because maybe they did act like that. It, and he's learned from all of that, and it sounds like he wants to apply that as a coach. Well, what he what he does is really uh, you never know if a person can lead, if they can manage a sports team, whatever, until they do it. And so many managers and coaches – Enter thinking they've got all the answers and they fail. I think Landon is is approaching it the exact right way. I'm in now. What do I do? I want to improve. Uh, everything that I heard speaks to leadership. Yeah, and like you said, Jesse, that was definitely a cool moment. Uh, he scored probably my favorite goal I've ever seen: the goal against Algeria to send the U.S. through in the 2010 World Cup. I, I mean, I thought the the Jay Stingler point you made was kind of was was a fun one because I agree. I think the best coaches and the best leaders are people that let their actions do the work for them and that have it within themselves to rely on other people to count on the people that they put in place to succeed without overmanaging them or without running the show too heavily. And so, uh, yeah, it was it was a cool kind of. It's cool to see, like you said, the best soccer player in American soccer history trying to make that transition and understanding, man, I have a lot to learn. I have a long way to go before I get this coaching thing down. Yeah, great guy. I really do appreciate his time. That was a fun one. Uh, check out the SD Loyal social channels if you want to be interested in, in what they've got going with Rady Children's Hospital. Obviously, a, a very worthy cause if you can participate. Well, this show uh, is truly international these days. Uh, we're talking about international soccer. We've been talking a lot about baseball in the Pacific Rim, uh, including very specifically KT Wiz of uh, the KBO, the Korean League. They'll have opening day coming up on May 5th. Uh, and if you haven't been with us uh, every moment of every day, you may have missed that we are adopting KT Wiz as our team for Padre Social Hour. So once the season starts, we're going to we're gonna follow them day in and day out. We're going to see how the Wiz are doing. Uh, they are the youngest team in the KBO in terms of expansion. They're the newest team in the league. Uh, they're trying to break through. They finished in last place each of their first several years, uh, but now they're really getting it going. So we're going to learn more today about KT Wiz uh, and about the KBO. And in a moment, also, we're going to show you some scouting reports uh, that came from an actual Padre scout in that part of the world telling us a little bit more in-depth uh, information. So first of all, KBO teams can have three foreign players per team. Kind of an interesting uh, little uh, rule there. Only two of whom can play in a given game. Uh, usually it's two pitchers and a position player. And one of the guys for KT Wiz, uh, who's one of the very main reasons we chose them, uh, is because it's uh, old friend Odrisamer Despagne, Cuban-born, of course. And uh, OD is on, uh, is on KT Wiz. So he's a, a rookie, quote-unquote, in the KBO this year. Uh, even though, obviously, he pitched, uh, I believe, professionally in Cuba and then also, obviously, in the U.S. with the Padres and others. So he's he's one guy on there. Uh, the other two foreign-born players uh, for KT Wiz here in 2020, we got William Cuevas, uh, right-hander from Venezuela. He is the ace of the staff. Our scout tells us you got a King Felix comparison. He's got a lot of swagger. 
good command, good teammate. That's a scouting report I can get behind. Mel Rojas Jr., uh, center fielder from the U.S. You might remember his dad pitched a long time for the Expos. Uh, our scout says, you look at those numbers the last couple of years there, uh, the next Eric Thames is the number one hitter he's seen in the KBO after Eric Thames. So Mel Rojas Jr. really coming into his own, playing for KT Wids in Korea. Here's the rest of the scouting report on the team. Uh, no superstars, true superstars, he said, but they do have a future star uh, with the right fielder. Uh, I, I feel badly I'm going to mess up the pronunciation, but I'm going to guess Gong Bak Ho, uh, who he compares to Josh Naylor. Uh, similar body, swing, power. He was the rookie of the year uh, two years ago. So he's in right field. Uh, Rojas is also in the outfield. So there we go. A uh, little information about KT Wiz. They open their season up on May 5th. And uh, thank you to the Padre front office for getting us a little bit more information. Uh, AJ, um, I, I know, you know, we can't ask you to write a story every day on KT Wiz, but when you're here, uh, we, we, we do hope you'll be able to participate in our enjoyment of them. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep my eye on them and I'll come prepared. Go Wiz. <laughs> Bill, can I count on you? If you're on the Wiz, are you a wizard? Yes. Yes. That's uh, Wiz is short for wizard. Their mascot. He's a wizard guy. I've been on the team store. Might be ordering some stuff eventually. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> Uh, so, but like yeah, I said, going international. So we talked about this the other day. Thank you, Wesley, for getting on board. Uh, so by the way, I have no connection to this team whatsoever. This is not, there's no insider trading or anything going on. This was somewhat random. Like I said, I sort of picked a team based on random factors. Uh, but, you know, we, we post these shows on YouTube, obviously, after the fact. Check out this comment that came in the other day. One of the shows we had, we had talked about, KT Wiz, obviously, you know, English, not the first language here, came in from somebody in South Korea. Uh, and he or she very excited and gives us kind of their own scouting report on everything going on. Uh, exciting, fun, passionate team. Uh, he recommends KT Wiz, won't be a bad choice. And he or she is cheering for the Padres as well. So I feel kind of like a diplomat. I got to be honest, like we're reaching across the Pacific and shaking hands, at least with this one fan. Uh, so I thought that was that was pretty fun. That was that was cool. That came in. So go Wiz, uh, the Wizards. And uh, we'll we'll be behind them all the way. Leave you with a couple of fun things before we get out of here tonight. Uh, video that was kind of making the rounds the other day uh, via Sports Center on Twitter, I believe. Uh, this is a husband and wife. Uh, the wife, I believe, is a professional softball player and pitched at Texas A&M. Husband's going to take her yard, and he is going to enjoy it. That's not a bat flip. That is a bat toss. So now the tables are turned. He will pitch to her. Oh, she decimates him decimates him this is a very healthy looking relationship Casabelle. yeah i want to see what they're swinging at because those are some bombs i want to see like whose windows they're breaking or where these where these bats are even ending up but uh yeah some really nice swings on both ends uh, the pitching it seems could use a little bit of work <laughs> the husband is so despondent too he like crouches down after she she takes him yard so that's pretty good <laughs> Uh, and I, I agree with the, the social media person at ESPN. I think it's safe to say she got the last laugh. Yeah, she she wins every every bit of that stellar video. Uh, one other thing, Bill, I saw this this morning. I picked it out, uh, especially for you. Obviously, there are many serious things going on in the world right now, uh, some of which you would never even think of. Uh, Belgians uh, are being called upon to eat French fries, although I don't know that they call them French fries in Belgium, uh, at least twice a week because they've got more than 750,000 tons of potatoes that are at risk of being thrown away. They don't want to waste the food. And so they put out the National Alert Center, eat more fries. I could become a national hero in Belgium right now. <laughs> <laughs>
That's pretty much exactly what I was looking for uh, out of you. All right, uh, Bill Center, AJ Casabell, thank you both very much. Always uh, a treat, and uh, stay healthy, guys. Uh, healthy guys, stay safe, all that stuff. We will we'll stay safe, healthy, and stealthy. Stealthy, yes. You always want to be stealthy, especially if you're eating a handful of fries. Uh, thank you also to Landon Donovan for joining us. If you missed that interview, really stellar stuff. You can now uh, watch the replay of the show on your social channel of choice. Thanks, everybody, behind the scenes. We'll do this whole thing again tomorrow coming up at 5.30. Appreciate all you guys hanging out. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope we are able to distract you, take your mind off the world for a little while at least. And uh, as we said, we'll do this again tomorrow night. Have a great night, everybody.